welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name's Justin Lee, joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Good afternoon for this Saturday Morning Emporium. How are you guys today? I'm doing well yourself, Justin. Hanging in there. I am enjoying technology, as most people do. And we got some fun things to talk about today. Um, of course, now we're recording this at noon, so it'll be interesting to see what you know what we get wrong today as often happens we talk about things and then later in the day we're completely wrong but that's okay we're going to talk some tigers baseball we're going to talk some uh oakland basketball we're going to talk about the masters we're going to talk a little bit about the red wings so we'll kind of cover a gamut of issues probably will not talk any lions football in this edition we're going to save that for a couple of weeks as we get to uh their big day but we'll talk about draft picks at least as we talk about the red wings so coming up next another edition of the saturday morning sports So I figured um, I figured we'd start with uh, the transfer portal striking again in the land of uh, in the land of Oakland University and uh, Daniel Oladapo uh, heading into the transfer portal. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Well, well I, go ahead, Brandon. I think you have to. I think you have to start with what we got. Uh, in the transfer portal, which preceded uh, Daniel Oladapo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was uh, Jamal Kane, I believe, um, from Marquette University, who is a very, very good basketball player uh, at a Big E school. Uh, averaged about 10 points and six boards uh, at Marquette as a starter. Uh, and is someone whose talent level uh, will be significantly higher than the majority of the players in the Horizon League. And so a win for them and then uh, a, a pretty devastating loss for them with Oladapo, but I'll, uh, I'll kick it over to Adam to talk about uh, what, what the loss of Oladapo means. Well, uh, he probably and arguably is the most athletic guy that you have on your roster at this point, right? And I now at, at last check, uh, um, uh, he looked like he was entering the transfer portal, did not say that he was going to necessarily leave, and I don't think, I haven't heard anything that, that he has found a, a new destination. Uh, and, and he said, I'm, I'm not shutting down the, the thought that I'm going to come back. I just want to en- enter it to kind of see what's out there. I did see one of the schools that was uh, that was inquiring was uh, South Carolina. Uh, so, if, you know, from an ACC standpoint, you know, pretty good potential opportunity there. The thing with Bo- o- o- Oladapo, to me, though, uh, uh, Brandon and Justin, is the fact that his size does not lead me to believe that he would necessarily be a real asset to a bigger, uh, a big program, big five program. Um, and uh, as a result, I- I'm kind of lukewarm as to whether or not he'll even leave at all uh, based on that. So. Hard to yeah, say. Yeah, fair point. You know, I guess from what I understand, he's heard from uh, South Carolina, as you mentioned, uh, St. Bonaventure, Tulsa, George Mason, Florida Gulf Coast. So I'm not sure necessarily. I mean, you know, what's the upside to that for him? I, I, I don't think there is any, to be honest with you. If you look at I me, mean, he's going to be a starter in this 
program. He's going to be someone who is, if they when they come back, and if they're able to keep this team together, I think even with losing Rashad Williams, um, I think this is a, a, a team that definitely is going to contend in a horizon, and as a result, very much a, a good chance of making the NCAA tournament next year. And I think outside of going to South Carolina, he's really not getting a whole lot. And I just question whether or not he'll get the playing time that he thinks. Yeah, I think that's that's the right take, you know. And if he stays, and you know what what caught me as interesting was, as, as I understand it, his his entering the transfer portal um, was subsequent uh, to Jamal Kane declaring that he was coming to OU. And so my first thought was he, concerns that he was going to have around, you know, how much ball there was to go around. Uh, you know, and hit his role in the front court. But if he stays, I mean, he's going to be paired with, you know, uh, a, a, a player of a, a talent caliber above the majority of the Horizon League. And so uh, it's it's going to be, uh, he's going to have a lot of room to work because they're going to be uh, watching Kane pretty closely, if not, you know, of course, Jalen Moore and the rest of the very talented backcourt that Oakland's going to field next year. Presuming, assuming that, you know, Parrish, Townsend, Moore, Zion Young all don't answer the, tra- answer the transfer portal tomorrow. So. Right. Or later today. <laughs> Yeah, it it you know it it's an adventure, guys. It is an absolute adventure in college basketball at this point, and and I mean we probably have talked about the transfer portal in college basketball as much as any topic uh, or unique topic, if you will, uh, is is anything else on on the show. And as a result, I just I I just kind of kind of you know, brace myself for what what could be coming next, just because, again, the old doppel old just is really just kind of a, it's a real head scratcher. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but when you're dealing with young men and, and, and you know, the, the, the notoriety that they get in playing basketball, it, it, it makes sense that at the very least, they would at least make sure they know their options. And that's that. Yep. Absolutely true. You know, speaking of notoriety, I wonder if uh, and and I, and I know there's not a lot to say on this situation, but I was just thinking of Deshaun Watson and uh, that disaster of a uh, situation. And they, I mean, obviously, he's got now 22 at least women who have sued him. Uh, there's a criminal investigation also going on that does not involve any of those individuals. So that's um, pretty disturbing. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, there's really not much to say about that situation um, that isn't fairly cliche at this point. Um, but one thing I will say is it it kind of takes me back to um, the emphasis we place on high school and college athletics and what kind, I mean, he's 25, you know, and what kind of, um, what has he experienced in his life? He went to Gainesville, you know, he, he's from Georgia and, uh, what Clemson, uh, and was, was a starting quarterback freshman year in high school. Uh, I think freshman year in college too. Um, and, you know, what pedestal did he get lifted on and what expectations was he led to believe were true? And then how did that impact his behavior? And so I guess it's more of a societal thing here. I mean, not that it excuses anything, but boy, do we enable that behavior? 
societally. Well, and to your point, Justin, you're absolutely correct. All we do have to offer at this point are cliches, and um, I, I don't, you know, I don't think they just found Watts. And I hate to say this about the NFL or any other sports league that's out there. He's probably not alone. He just happens to be at the oh, sure. absolutely wrong time, wrong place. But that doesn't excuse the fact that his behavior is irreprehensible at, at, at minimum. Um, and uh, it, it's just it's really unique to think about where Deshaun Watson was right after the Super Bowl, which is like two months ago, where every team was about to give up a couple years of draft picks basically to have him on his yeah. team. He has gone from, to your point, uh, on the absolute top pedestal of a desired player, possibly the one of the top five most desired players in the NFL in an absolutely horrific organization that had almost no choice but to trade him to now at the bottom, where no, I mean, you, <laughs> no one will want that guy on on his team at this point, and that that's the least of Deshaun Watson's problems at this point. In two months, we, we it's been a complete you almost five forty as much as it's changed, rather than just the one eighty. So, yeah, Brandon, any thoughts? No, I, I think you capture um, concisely and well. You know, I. I don't have much to say other than, you know, sounds like he should go to jail. You know, it's not yeah. what I've got to offer. Yeah. And certainly if the NFL has any backbone whatsoever, um, they will dispense some kind of justice. Um, because even if uh, a criminal case is unable to be made, you know, he is a clear and present threat to um, women in the NFL locker room, you know, who are on training staffs, and in front offices across the league. Um, so they need to get him away from people. <laughs> yeah. And it just, it does make me wonder too, how the NFL is going to handle it. And again, you know, that's just pure speculation, but the NFL generally really frowns on things like um, performance enhancing drugs. Uh, but when you abuse women, they're not usually too upset about that. So, um, we'll see. We'll see. I, the, the, the only thing I would say to that, though, Justin, is that a lot of times when we, we've seen in the past the situation with women, okay, um, one situation per se, or very, or, or in one woman. In this case, we got what twenty five, twenty six women that are reporting to to have a problem, and I think even the yeah. NFL. I think from that standpoint, when they're looking at the situation, they they know that for them, especially from a bottom line standpoint, they have to make a concise, uh, you know, a, a very one hundred percent direct decision on this matter. That's a that's a that's a very fair point. Um, there's certainly no, yeah, yeah. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So we'll definitely keep an eye on that situation, but um, fairly horrifying. So the dark side of sports uh, and, and life. I mean, <laughs> certainly not limited to that. Oh, absolutely. Hey, before we uh, were talking about college basketball, and I, uh, uh, um, before we talked about Deshaun Watson, Justin, and I ended up, uh, I omitted from our uh, rundown sheet the uh, Michigan basketball team, uh, and I don't want to uh, leave the show without the, that commentary. So, mm -hmm. um, and, and guys, I, I have to tell you, um, you know, 
uh, you know, uh, Brandon, you uh, used the word uh, term uh, gassed, uh, um, uh, you know, before when you were talking about the other Big Ten teams um, and, and watching uh, Michigan against UCLA. Uh, I thought the combination of the team being gassed or at least looking very tired to me, uh, along with the fact that I thought, um, you know, as great as a coaching job that everyone perceived Juwan Howard doing this season, um, that he, he he really uh, did not step up to the plate uh, in that UCLA, uh, UCLA game uh, from the standpoint that I, I don't, you know, they were, it was tough on the uh, down in the paint, but uh, in many ways, I thought that uh, Jawan Howard really didn't do a great job of, of taking advantage of something that they were very good at, which was the, the uh, uh, inside the paint. Yeah, it was a tough game. It was a tough game to watch. I mean, it was not a particularly pleasant game to watch. And uh, we were college basketball fans were, of course, rewarded uh, a few days later by watching one of the best college basketball games I've ever seen, which was Gonzaga against UCLA. Uh, truly uh, un an unforgettable uh, basketball game. Um, yeah, he got John Howard got outcoached in that game. And Mick Cronin is a fantastic coach and went on to outcoach. Uh, Mark Few in the very next game against Gonzaga, and Gonzaga got bailed out, frankly, on a couple of different occasions in that game and should have lost that game probably. Um, so, but, you know, the team definitely looked fast, and, you know, just the plays that were drawn up, you know, in the fatal last minute for Michigan continued to put the ball in the coldest shooter's hand of the entire night. Perhaps the most talented player on the team, but a guy that could not get a bucket in Franz Wagner, who was one for 10. Meanwhile, you had Shawnee Brown, who was, you know, the, really the only guy showing life on that team. And their best three-point shooter with livers out uh, and did not get the ball at, at any point in that last minute. And that, that was in addition to, uh, I think, Adam's good points about just general gamesmanship, uh, getting out coached during that game. That was something that kind of had you scratching your head. Um, but the season I still count as a resounding success um, for that team to make the Elite Eight without Isaiah Livers is, uh, is definitely a success. And, you know, that UCLA team had magic. I mean, true magic uh, was behind that team. And so uh, a good season. You know, we'll see they've got five seniors with that year of eligibility. It sounds like two, Mike Smith and Shawnee Brown, will not be returning. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how they uh, how they potentially bring back those seniors and then have the best recruiting class in the country. They'll be right back in the Elite Eight conversation uh, next year, too. So the future is bright there. But I think Adam uh, makes a good point on uh, the coaching there. And, and it will be very interesting to watch the upcoming seasons from the standpoint that you're looking at a Juwan Howard and the pressure will increase. And will he be able to maintain that uh, uh, that the group of assistant coaches that he has that I think is probably more critical to his success than maybe a lot of coaches uh, in the um, uh, NCAA uh, college basketball. So speaking of magic, in the um, in the sports world, how about let's talk about Akil Badu and whatever magic he's sprinkling uh, on himself. Um, you know, Brandon, you you were not overly thrilled that he was going to make the roster, potentially pushing out Victor Reyes. Um, it's I mean it's a week right uh, into the season, but uh, an eyebrow raising week, don't you think? For for sure, you know, and, and Justin and I, we chatted very briefly about this the other day, and I said it reminiscent of Quentin Berry's run uh, for the Tigers. Uh, what, now must be quite a long time ago. 
Um, <laughs> but just the energy, and obviously it was a different Tigers team that, that Quentin Berry was impacting. But this is what they needed desperately. The Tigers needed this kind of spark. They don't have a great baseball team. That's what we thought about the baseball team. It's pretty much held up in the first week. Uh, moments of magic, definitely some young talent, uh, but not not great, not great. Um, and so having the performance of Badu and you know, kind of a remarkable, I'm sure, record-setting in some capacity. Um, you know, I think the question is, you know, does he keep it going? What's his uh, what's his ceiling? And uh, you know, how long how long of a leash is he going to have? You know, to to keep going back out there. And, it's a crowded outfield, so it'll be interesting. Yeah. I'm curious as to your thoughts on uh, how that might uh, reconfigure uh, with a couple of veterans and uh, you know a couple of other younger guys uh, that have potential. I'll I'll tell you what. I mean, despite the heroics that he did uh, um, this week, uh, Justin, I thought the most um, impressive thing was last night. Uh, he was down 0-2. Uh, and he ended up walking. Um, and I think uh, he had he showed a ton of patience at the plate <clears throat> against uh, Cleveland last night. Um, and that I, I and, and to the point, like you were talking about branding with Quentin Berry, and and, and we've seen uh, you know players like this in April light it up and then you know kind of fade away. But that at bat alone leading me to believe that there might be some substance to his performance this week. And I'm, I'm, I guess I'm more curious now than I even was, uh, uh, you know, earlier this week after that at bat last night. So, well, that's the interesting thing, um, that we've seen out of him is he's done some good hitting. I mean, I mean, that's the thing you, you get with a lot of young ball players is pitchers don't know how to pitch to him yet. Um, and they hang a pitch, they do whatever. I mean, these guys are good. I mean, you know, anybody who gets to the major leagues is pretty damn good. Um, and then they'll, they'll get some hits and then pitchers learn how to pitch to him. And, and of course we have, it remains to be seen whether or not he, he's able to adjust, but there's just something about the at-bats he's had, the crucial situations. These are not usually the situations where a guy like this, uh, you know, a kid who's never played above advanced a is is going to come in and do well i mean look at how victor reyes reacted he had only been in double a he was completely overmatched for the first half of the season now as it turns out he's turned into a very decent baseball player a major league baseball player i mean and, and was a good rule five pick for the tigers um but it just it's 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 like i said it's eyebrow racing and okay so his first pitch it's home run Cool, really exciting. That's fun. Oh, grand slam. Oh, triple. You know, um, making good plays. Um, you know, drawing that that O uh, two walk. I, th- walk off the, single. Walk off single. Yeah, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, this is the stuff that just kind of makes you go, huh? There might be something here. And boy, I don't, I don't want to get all excited and then just be disappointed later, but. Uh, it's going to be a reason to turn on the baseball game, albeit not on any streaming service because, you know. But uh, anyway. Um, I, have a, I have a slight, I have an interesting take, uh, a little bit of a hot take, and I'm going to say this, and I'm, I'm probably going to get shouted down. I'm not going to say that he's not the best storyline of the team because I think that's a tough mountain to climb. But I am going to say there's a much quieter storyline happening, and that's Michael Palmer who has been utterly dominant on the mound so far. He's given up, 
at least at the game I was at, a very long home run in that game. And I think probably, I'm not sure the distance of the last home run he gave up. Uh, but at least the game I was at, the ball almost hit the Planet Fitness sign uh, at Comerica Park. That's <laughs> <laughs> not a, barely an exaggeration there. Um, he has looked outstanding. I mean, and in a couple of long, really, you know, a couple innings here or there, but just he's striking guys out. He's looking real good. And if he can settle into the bullpen at a high caliber, great. If he can, but if he can more importantly settle back into that rotation, boy, does that change things in terms of the caliber of the pitching staff? And so, not going to say it's a better storyline than Badu, but he is more of a known quantity. Uh, and I'm watching, you know, very, very interested to see how his season plays out. Well, I, I will say it was something that also raised an eyebrow for me is just seeing how sharp his slider has been. And and boy, if that slider is working, then, you know, we know he can hit low mid 90s on his fastball and locate it. You have that wipeout slider and yeah, you, you've got a guy who can throw you some real quality innings and he's still what, 26, 27. I mean, he's not like old. So um, like Quentin Barry is. But, you know, uh, so I, Adam, just so you know, I, I disappointed Brandon thoroughly when I told him the other day that Quentin Berry is now third base coach for, I want to say it's maybe the Red Sox. I, I don't remember who, but he's he's a third ba- major league third base coach. And that made Brandon feel old, apparently. So sorry about that. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I think that is, that is a very interesting thing. And that... Well, two things. One, I think Badu is going to keep forcing himself into the lineup. We've already seen AJ Hinge move things around. Jacoby Jones sat for a few games um, because Hinch was like, hey, I'm throwing this guy out there, which he might as well. Um, and then, you know, secondly, I, I think this is the reason to watch this team right now is will Fulmer come back? What's Mize going to look like? What's Scooble going to look like? What's Badu going to look like? Um, Castro, um, so on and so forth. That's the reason to watch. And, you know, if they go out there and they do uh, halfway decent, it'll be uh, it'll be fun. So that's all we can really hope for. Adam, and you're on mute currently. Okay. Yes, there I am. Uh, to, to your point, you're absolutely correct. I think there's, um, uh, uh, you know, some of those things that, and, and to your point, Michael Fulmer is absolutely pitching fantastic right now. Um, that is not a hot take. Uh, the, you know, he did give up that that bullet to Framil Rias uh, yesterday that uh, m- might have been at Comerica Park at this point um, on the from Cleveland. Uh, but but regardless, yeah. you know, um, you know, th- there are. Things to like about the first week, uh, whether it be Wilson Ramos, uh, the catcher, uh, having a productive hitting catcher on this team is a very uh, much a nuance. Um, and, um, you know, but then there's other things like the the ab- a tradition like none other in Miguel Cabrera starting out the season slow, uh, you know, and and that could be disappointing. But and 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 the other thing to watch is going to be guys like uh, uh, Jacoby Jones and um, uh, you know and and whether or not he can you know salvage his major league career. But again, he's another guy that's usually slow starting, not nearly as notable though as Mickey Cabrera. But and and. In, but going back to your statement, though, uh, Justin, th- this team right now is going to go uh, 
really by uh, um, their their pitching staff, their starting pitching staff, and that's what people uh, and the fans are going to be pointing toward at this point, uh, and and really looking at to really be the beacon of hope uh, until we can see guys like uh, um, you know Riley Green and, and Tur- um, uh, uh, Torkelson uh, get up yeah. uh, get up here. So, yep, very true. So, obviously, we're going to be keeping an eye on that, but it was very fun to get out to a couple of ball games. Ahead, I, one, one more point. I think Matt Boyd's uh, performance thus far yes. has been very good. Um, you know, a lot of walks on opening day, but then you uh, come back and uh, he had the game against the Twink where I thought he played really well, uh, and he should have not lost that game. Uh, but uh, he pitched really well, and I think it's something to really look at, especially with that fastball uh, being thrown like he is uh, throwing it right now, uh, and his off-speed pitches are decent too. So um, that's another story to watch as we go through, specifically uh, opposed to the starting pitching as a whole so nope great point great point very encouraging to see him uh throw well so the tigers rebuild continues and um they definitely need to turn a corner sometime in the near future fulmer's 28 by the way um i did just uh look that up but um you know so clearly that changes everything but uh speaking of rebuilds um we can talk a little bit about the Detroit red wings um and you know Adam, uh, in your uh, pre-show email to Brandon and I, you asked if uh, fans were getting a little weary of this rebuild. And um, on on one hand, I would say yes, because the Wings have been terrible for um, several years now and were extremely mediocre prior to that for a number of years. Uh, But on the other hand, with Iserman being a relatively new GM, he has the benefit of one being new in coming into the role, but also being Steve Eiserman. Um So just kind of a, a, a quick take on that, but it's been a pretty brutal season, all things considered. Some real good moments. They've had a few really good games, and then they've had some games where it was pretty sure we, we would have had the same result if we were all out there skating. So... Well, and I, I'm pointing toward like a player like Philip Gadina, which I know he had a rough start uh, with health and whatnot um, going on. But um, <clears throat> uh, but in general, I mean, I keep on looking at him, uh, you know, and, and, and thinking, OK, so he's got uh, uh, 14 points. Uh, he's significantly better than Anthony Mantha with uh, the minus uh, minus four plus minus versus uh, Joe Larkin that got uh, minus twelve. Uh, Philip Ronick with a minus fourteen and Mantha with a minus fifteen. Uh, but I, I just keep on looking and I'm just I'm trying to figure out what what and we talked about beacons of hope with uh, the Tigers just now and now when we're looking at the the Red Wings, I'm struggling to figure out. What is that beacon of hope at this point? Dylan Larkin, at times, has skated and played really well. But at times, you just go, oh, my gosh, can, can we just not be a little more consistent? And I'm just, I, I, I'm not sure if I'm seeing that beacon of hope uh, with the Red Wings at this point. That's a good question. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's pretty ugly. I, I think the, the question is, you know, can Eiserman add the, a couple of pieces, big pieces, through free agency next year when they've got, you know, 
35, 40 million dollars, 45 million dollars, maybe even available to them um, to add some talent. And then how does the center of gravity shift around the talent that they add? You know, a big winger who can score, another center down the middle. Then you start to put some of these pieces, Mantha, uh, when Bertuzzi's back, even Larkin, and see what they look like around NHL with NHL talent surrounding them. Um, because it's just so thin. It's that team's so thin right now. Um, and then the other thing is they've got to wait for a couple of these other guys to come up. And so it's, it's a dicey time for them. Uh, so, you know, I, I think, um, you know, they pr- could perhaps have less professional talent on their roster than the Tigers do right now. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think there's some truth to that. And to your point, it is a very thin lineup and, some of these guys on another roster, they would have very different numbers. Larkin, that's certainly true. Mantha, that's certainly true. Um, and, you know, there's been a little bit of injury bug, too, which hasn't helped. When you have a team that's so thin, we've talked about that with the Tigers over the last few years. Um, but if, I, one... if I had to point out one player, not to, sorry to cut you off, it would be chronic. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. he's 23. He's playing 24 minutes a game. He's got 20 points. Like, leads the team. He's pretty, he's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we, we, we have some legitimately good hockey players on this team who will be better when they get some other veteran guys around them. And again, it, it, it gets back to that, um, you know, what, what the Tigers have done the last few years uh, mm-hmm. scope, Crone, um, Grossman. You know th- these guys are not, for the most part, stellar baseball players, but they're good, solid veterans. And I think you know the Wings were going that for with Bobby Ryan um, and with um, Mark Stahl, but but they still don't have quite enough to fill out that lineup. Uh, but but the one thing I will say is the Wings have had. I think, I think the stat I read was 33 draft picks in the last three years, something like that. Um, and, you know, so seven is a standard draft. And they've got another 18 currently for the next two years. And that was after their trade of Nemeth yesterday. Um, and I, I they mean, have six really in what the first one's doing here. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's very clear what he's doing here is just we're, we're just going to get all the young kids and we're just going to keep just keep grinding them through. And, and what might be disappointing then to Wings fans, that means it's going to be a little bit most likely before they they get significantly better. So I guess it is somewhat dependent on whether or not they they go out and spend to your point, Brandon. They're going to need to because they've only got like four or five guys under under contract next year. I know a lot of, they have a lot of guys on like RFAs, but they're, they're going to have a lot, a whole lot of cap space. Yes, that they are. Um, pretty much every legacy contract is done. I'm pretty sure um, at this point. So that will, yeah, that will definitely free up some, some pretty serious cash. So to uh, to run the gamut on the three Detroit sports teams that I don't loathe, uh, the Pistons, um, they've got um, – I've lost his name. Killian Hayes, he's back in the mix. Um, so what are your thoughts on that front? 
far, what you've seen from him uh, tells you that, you know, his play uh, before the injury was probably very much having to do with the injury. Um, I think there's going to be some, you know, some people that, you know, are expecting, you know, right out of the gate, great things in order for him to be either a pass or a fail. And I, I don't really understand that, especially I think a point guard position of all positions in the NBA at this point. Um, the fact that, uh, you know, I, I don't know the stack off the top of my head the last couple games he's played, but it very much shows that he's probably going to be a very good draft pick. Um, and, you know, when, when you talk to people before he had the injury, I mean, the frustration was just so high, which I just, again, to point guard in the NBA, we've got to relax. And especially a point guard, in the NBA, who's a rookie on a turnstile type of roster, you've got to relax a little bit. And Brandon, from my standpoint, I like what we've seen thus far with Killian Hayes coming back, which obviously above anything else, what I like is that he's healthy. Yeah, he looked really good in a couple of those games. And of course, he's transitioning from European basketball as well. He's incredibly young. Um, it's going to take some time for him, um, but I've been encouraged by what I've seen. Um, you know, but again, con- continue to props to Troy Weaver in that uh, roster churn, and Diallo and Corey Joseph have looked really good uh, in the games that they played. I mean, they have, they have particularly Diallo has fit in really, really well uh, and showed some flashes. Obviously, Corey Joseph just had a big game the other night, um, so credit to him for rotating, picking up draft picks, and. I don't want to say the team's competitive, but they are they are fielding a team, you know, in a critical year for development for a few of these guys, a few of these rookies. And, you know, Bay is getting a lot of playing time. Stewart's getting increasingly more playing time. And now Hayes is back. So, um, and he's massing draft picks. And so I, I, I think despite the craziness of the summer, when he did some questionable things, you've got to be uh, really giving Troy Weaver some props right now for his efforts. You know, and not to, as Adam always mentions, not to uh, undersell Dwayne Casey uh, and the role that he plays is, you know, I think one of the five or ten best coaches in the uh, NBA. Oh, I, I mean, for what he's able to do with some of these players that they brought in for the sake of bringing them in and just kind of, you know, doing a test run with them, what Dwayne Casey's been able to do, I mean, yeah, and, and oh, well, you know, they didn't play well against Denver. Well, no one's playing well against Denver right now. And, I mean, the fact that, I mean, they went into Sacramento and they owned Sacramento, and I don't think Sacramento's a great team by any stretch of the means, but for a team that traditionally, and I don't care, I mean, I mean, as long as I've been watching this team, West Coast road trips have been always cumbersome. And for them to be able to go out and, and uh, you know, play that game in Sacramento against just this ever-evolving roster, it, it, it really speaks volumes about Dwayne Casey. And I, I have no problem putting him up there in top five coaches in the league. So. And one thing I've really liked out of them all year long is they play for the talent they have very, very good defense. Uh, this is a team that is is around is hovering around the top ten in defense in the league, and that is impressive when you're fielding that many rookies and that much young talent that you're playing that kind of defense. I mean, that's that's a really good sign of things to come and that uh, for many, that team. And that many um, players who have not played together before uh, or right. have have a limited amount of playing time, and because defense definitely in basketball cohesion unit cohesion is absolutely a factor in that. But again, that goes back to Casey. And what he's doing, because you got to credit him for for making that happen. 
Yeah, and oh, yeah. Yeah, the, other, the other thing I'll say, and you know, I dragged Weaver badly for this, you know, over the summer, and I'm still not wild about it, but you know, you know, Grant notwithstanding, who's always been known as a very, very good defensive player, Mason Plumley has been playing pretty good defense and is definitely a, an upgrade uh in certain types of defense over a Christian Wood. So um with those guys, veteran guys as anchors defensively, it's been easier to move other guys in and out. So with that said, that'll be an interesting uh interesting thing to look at this next offseason with the Pistons. And if it is still, you know, uh a, a player carousel or or what you know, how they settle down potentially in moves in in the next off season. So agreed. Oh absolutely. No, I mean I and I as we were talking here, I'm I'm trying to go through the roster in my mind and try to figure out who in this team is competitive will be here. Um, and I'm still not convinced that we really have anyone on the roster right now that will necessarily be here when this team is competitive. Partly based on what I see, but more partly is more about Troy Weaver and his desire to turn over the roster. Um, but I mean, off the top of my head, Kadik Bay definitely looked like a guy who's going to be here when that happens, and definitely in in a um, uh, you know another player is probably going to be. And I, I don't want to put too much into a couple of games, but uh, Killian Hayes definitely looked like he he's going to become that player that you know Troy Weaver. You know, drafted and 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 his expectations. So, um, and of course, the last guy is, is going to be Jeremy Grant. Um, though I mean, I know there was a lot of talk about trading and whatever. Uh, and especially when you consider his contract is, you know, twenty five million is it, it is a lot of money when all <laughs> in in reality. But in the NBA, like a very very doable contract in terms of trading. So. Yeah, and I'll, I think the the other uh, I'll call it now. Who I think the other long term piece of the Pistons is going to be uh, come the summer is Jalen Suggs. Uh, I think the stars are aligning for the Pistons to have a really good shot at taking Jalen Suggs uh, to round out that backcourt. And boy, if they could get him with his speed next to a guy like Killian Hayes, who's not quite as athletic, um, but has you know great instincts and great passing, like they that could propel this team rapidly. Um, because the ability for rookies to make an impact in the NBA, you know, it's one of the leagues where there's a much faster acceleration, you know, of that talent to make a difference. For sure. Great. One thing before we get to the Masters, um, one other thing I wanted to bring up here, and I, I don't, I think maybe we'll be able to talk about it in a couple of weeks, is a very interesting leak of a report that Trevor Bowers, uh, his baseballs are being. Uh, investigated, if you will, tested for foreign substances. Um, and so now there is a protocol in the major in Major League Baseball. I think just about every pitcher has some baseballs tested at some point or another. But interesting that his name got leaked, uh, as he is a rather outspoken uh, person who has certainly angered others in the establishment. Um, but also kind of interesting in the sense of, uh, you know, what does the testing really tell you? Because, like, for example, Pine Tar, you know, they're looking at rotation rate on the ball, right? And his rotation rate jumped sky high last year. And um, but to his point, how do you if, if there's Pine Tar, there's something sticky on the baseball. And that's what, what got him flagged. 
how do you know it wasn't pine tar from the bat? You remember how Victor uh, Martinez always had like pine tar all over his shoulder? I mean, you know, was it from a bat? Was it from a glove? Infielders are allowed to have pine tar on their gloves. So was it something like that? So I just, I thought it was super interesting. Didn't know if you guys had any early thoughts. And I think it's going to be much more interesting to talk about when Major League Baseball does or doesn't do anything about it. I. Well, I think your point is that Trevor Bauer is a very, very um, almost convenient, if you will, mm-hmm. um, uh, um, target for this per, uh, for this discussion. Uh, and, uh, you know, for a guy who has more than a few opinions on baseball and how things uh, um, um, happen, uh, it, it, it's, of course, he really – um, just seems to be the right person to be uh, interjecting into this sort of uh, discovery and investigation. And to your point, Justin, I agree. And I'd be very curious about how this all turns out. So, so last thing to jump into is the Masters. Of course, that's going on. Round three is today. Um, you know, leaderboard doesn't really tee off till the afternoon, uh, but a very crowded leaderboard justin rose at the top of it but other than that um you know any one of probably about 12 to 15 players with a legit shot of winning so just curious to see what you guys think is going to play out at augusta well uh, i'll tell you right i mean justin rose is the type of guy he has the temperament to really take this from you know start to finish uh so um you know so in right now he's a uh, seven under going into round three uh he did uh, only uh shoot par yesterday but uh, that was after an amazing 65 on thursday on a course that was playing extremely difficult that day so i'm, I'm curious about what what will happen with justin rose but the names that really jump out at me are jordan spieth uh and justin thomas and tony Finau. uh those are the three guys that i expect uh will kind of rise uh is, is the you know the day goes on um and another name that uh, um uh you know that i think that, that uh, brandon brought up on the last show uh Colin, uh murakawa is uh right there at two under and with the way this course is playing uh, and so far from the early rounds that I've seen this far, uh, you know, par to, to about two under will be about as good as you get today. So it'll be, I'm, I'm curious as much as anyone about how this carries out. I think what I like about that group, Adam, is uh, those are a lot of shot makers in that group. Um, and that's, of course, you know, the key to Augusta is shot making mm-hmm. um, more so than so many of the other courses. And so even Matsuyama is hanging around there. Again, another really good shot maker. And, you know, some of the traditional big bombers, DeChambeau and Johnson, and, you know, those guys are hanging around par or a few over. So uh, excited to see this kind of group of players competing at the Masters um, because you're going to see some really cool shots over the next few days. But Justin Rose with the lead, you know, it's tough. It's tough. He's a very, very good golfer with a lot of major championship experience and a few of those under his belt, too. So the, uh, the tournament is his to lose. You know, I will say as a very casual observer of golf, one thing that I, I have been disappointed by, that's probably even too too harsh, but is is the, the concept of, you know, hit ball far becoming the standard. I mean, obviously driving distance is important, uh, but, you know, you, you do have certain players like DeChambeau who can just hit the ball he can go hit it in the woods just like the rest of us and still muscle it onto the green on his second shot. 
And I mean, hey, if you can do it, that's that's cool. But I, I, I agree with your point, Brandon. It's also cool to see the shot makers um, and the guys, you know, and the strategy that comes into playing a course like Augusta, where you've, you've got to decide, hey, do I try to this this pinpoint accurate shot and land it? And hey, that's going to put me in a great position or... Am I gonna, you know, play it a little safer and get a par on a hole? You know? Yeah, I mean, we t- we talked about that a couple of years ago. It's really how Tiger held off Brooks Koepka a couple of years ago when he won, um, <laughs> which is knowing the course better uh, and making better shot selection. Same with you know Molinari and and Kepka, you know, and Pina all melted down as Tiger knew how to play the course. And Justin Rose has been the bridesmaid a couple of times, I think, with the Masters uh, twice, if I'm not mistaken. He's finished in second. Uh, the master. So he, he knows the course as good as anybody. So, you know, I exist. Uh, I, I don't, you know, the, the, with Dustin Rogue, I just don't know if he'll be able to hold off a guy like Jordan Speed that definitely has this game going. Uh, you know, you take away that triple bogey he had on Thursday. He, you know, he's eight under at this point. He's probably playing as well as anyone right now on the tour, uh, including. Um, you know, uh, this week. And, you know, I, I have to tell you, too, is that I've, I've never been a big Jordan Spieth fan. And part of it was I, I didn't like the fact that he was as successful out of the gate as he was. But now that he's gone through uh, um, uh, hell and back, for the lack of a better way of putting it with his game, and done it as graceful as you could do it. Not firing swing coaches, not firing his caddy, not telling, you know, getting rid of everyone. No, he kept it intact and he said, this is my problem and I'm going to work with it and I'm going to work with the same people that got me here. Um, it, 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 now I find myself with uh, our good friend Clay Flame as a big fan of Jordan Spieth. So. And it was, of course, Spieth that beat Justin Rose uh, when Spieth won the Masters, I think, in 2015 or 2016. Uh, I think it was Spieth that beat Rose that year. Uh, the first the first major, I think, that Spieth won. So. Yeah, no, and, and I mean, and, and he's done it with a, just an absolutely incredible putting uh, stroke. And uh, uh, and I, I just I expect the same thing this weekend with with the one exception being Justin Thomas. I think Justin Thomas will be, I think he'll post a really nice score today uh, and, and he'll be, uh, you know, get, getting close there. So for sure. Any uh, last things that you guys wanted to uh, comment on before we get out of here for this week? No, we just got, uh, you know, in two weeks, we'll uh, break down uh, our expectations of the Lions draft, probably, uh, whether we like it or not. And, uh, Brandon's waving, waving. I know. He, okay. You can't see it on the screen, but he's batting the, the fly away, if you will. So we'll see how that, see, see what happens. Uh, and it's been an interesting last couple of weeks with all the trades uh, in the NFL uh, with draft picks and whatnot. So. For sure. Anything on your side, Brandon? No, I don't think so. Um, we already touched on it, um, but the ridiculousness of the transfer portal, I think it's getting uh, out of out of hand. You know, we've been talking about it for a long time, and now you're getting a lot of major coaches basically throwing their arms up in the air going, this is ridiculous, I don't know what to do. Um, you know, and then the other thing I'll hit on is, you know, coming down the stretch of the NBA, uh, it'll be very, very interesting to see how these a couple of super teams on each coast uh, are getting ready for their playoff run, the Clippers, the Nets, and of course the Lakers coming champion. So uh, a couple of loaded teams uh, getting ready for these playoff runs. Yep. 
With that said, that's going to wrap it up for another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. For Brandon Lee and Adam Swenson, my name's Justin Lee, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks in this busy part of the sports year. Thank you.